You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. All right, y'all. Which ones of you getting off your phones? Who's going to look at me? Nice. Note for the people that are watching virtually, of the 20 people here, two people said they would watch me. And the other 18 are going to stay on their phones. <laughs> Be the, uh, by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All right, last week of our Fruits of the Spirit series, and I'm really glad that we had the chance to do this series because we went out, we came, uh, the series came as a response uh, to a question that a lot of us had at this church. And that question was, uh, um, as a church, we're, we're, you know, we're activists, we're justice-oriented, we're community-minded, and, and what makes us different um, from another organization doing the same thing? You know, how are we a church? How do we represent the gospel? And so we said, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is rooted in these fruits of the Spirit. When Paul talks about these fruits of the Spirit, Paul is looking at the life of Christ and saying, this is what um, a, a godly life looks like. This is what a life lived in Jesus Christ looks like. And so as a church, we strive to live out these fruits of the Spirit. That's what makes us different. Now... What we've heard over the course of the past month or so uh, is a lot of people like, thank you for this. And then there are other people who I think bring up incredibly important points. They say, you know what, I love um, that we're going through the fruits of the Spirit, but hey, it's hard to be gentle when truth, truthfully people aren't necessarily gentle with me, and people are actively not being gentle with me. Or it's hard to be loving. I did, we did a message on loving your enemies, you know, radical love of enemy. And they said, you know, it's hard to be loving when our enemies are, are actively and willfully uh, looking for us to be hurt. And I hear that, right? Because fruits of the Spirit without discernment aren't going to help us. And all too often as Christians, we read this scripture without discernment, thinking that this is what we have to do, much to our detriment. It doesn't bring fruit at all. And so I've thought a lot about this. You know, I think we all have thought a lot. Okay, fruits of the Spirit are important, but, but, but I want fruits for people who, you know, aren't necessarily the ones that are privileged and in power. I want fruits, and I wrote this down because I think it's important. I want fruits for, for young queer believers who are considering suicide. And I want a fruit of the Spirit for the undocumented people whose families are being torn apart. And I want fruits of the Spirit that address mass incarceration. And I want fruits of the Spirit where sexual violence against women, and especially women of color and trans women, is talked about openly and addressed courageously. And I want fruits of the Spirit that speak out and speak up for Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other folks of color who have been killed by law enforcement. And I want a fruit of the Spirit that doesn't ask the oppressed to stay oppressed through unreflective gentleness or blind love. I need a fruit of the Spirit that speaks to us and through us, and sometimes even in our holy anger. That's the fruit of the Spirit that I want and need. Now here's the thing. We do have that fruit of the Spirit. We have it. And it is the fruit of peace. Peace. And you're all like, what? Peace? Yep. Paul is definitely talking about this fruit when he talks about peace. Now, what does peace look like? What does peace mean to y'all? When we hear peace, what does peace mean? Or what do we think of? Hmm. What did you say? Getting along. Getting along. Can't we all just get along? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think about uh, minimizing conflict, right? That's, uh, 
peace. Peace is the minimization of conflict. When we, when we are, you know, in America, we go on peacekeeping missions, right? And our job is to minimize that conflict. Now, we all know about peacekeeping, right? I like to call it peacekeeping, getting along, minimizing conflict, peacekeeping. We all know about it because most of us are peacekeepers. We want to make conflict minimal. Y'all are peacekeepers. How many people have uh, siblings? Y'all have siblings? Yeah, yeah. All right, so when I was younger, uh, maybe I did this, maybe I didn't. I can't confirm or deny it. But when I was younger, I'm the oldest brother, and my sisters would, you know, do something, and we would start fighting, and then I would hit them really hard, and they start crying. And as the older sibling, what did we do when our sisters started crying or our siblings started crying? We went, shh, shh, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll give you a dollar, I'll give you a dollar, I'll give you a dollar. Right? That's what we did because we wanted to minimize conflict. We wanted to keep the peace. The truth of the matter is I did not want to address what was going on with my sisters and I. What I wanted to do was I wanted to say, hey, hey, just as long, keep it cool. Keep it cool. I know you're crying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll go get you a snack. Right? Like, like we did whatever we could to minimize, to minimize conflict. I remember this really good friend I had. And, and you know, we, we, at our core, we were super jealous of one another. I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why. We were in middle school. I don't know. Middle school's weird. I was super jealous. And I remember we were playing one-on-one -on -one football. One-on-one -on -one football. Who does that? Anyway, that's what we were doing. And we got into a really big fight, and we went back inside, and his mom, God bless her, like, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. She was tired. But, but we walked in, and we said, hey, we're fighting about this and that. And I remember his mom said, boys, you're both tired. Just go back outside. And, like, poor tired mom answering a question. And the truth is, we, we never hung out again. That was the last time we ever hung out. By the time we hit high school, we just passed each other in the hallway. Right? Because we didn't actually get to the core of what was going on. It was peacekeeping. We, just, we had a mom who was tired and wanted to minimize conflict. That's what peacekeeping does. On a more serious note, on a more serious note uh, there's a time when a daughter was talking to her father about his verbal abuse. He was verbally abusive and had been for years. And she said, you did this and you did that. And, and the mom started saying to the daughter, the mom started saying, well, he didn't really mean it that way. Or is that really, was that really that bad? I don't know if that was that bad. Or, or there's a reason he did it this way. He did it this way because you know, minimizing conflict. We had a mother who was a peacekeeper who never wanted to get to the heart of any issue. She just wanted to minimize the conflict, keep the peace. And, and with what's going on in our world right now, especially our world centered around black lives, we see a lot of peacekeepers out there. And those peacekeepers are making a ton of noise. And they're saying things like, but why are they rioting? And why are they destroying property? Why are they kneeling? Why are they blocking traffic? Why are they? Because the thing with peacekeepers, peacekeepers never want to get to the heart of the issue. They never want to get to restoration. Peacekeepers like the status quo. And peacekeepers, the reason we minimize conflict is so that we can maintain and keep the status quo. That's what peacekeepers do. If we're peacekeepers, there's a good chance we're benefiting right now from a lot of privilege. For peacekeepers, there's a good chance that right now we are benefiting from the fact that maybe we're in power a little bit more than others. And if we're peacekeepers, then it's easier for us to live out a fruit of the spirit like gentleness or love when there isn't always a whole lot at stake for us, right? But if we are going to actually bring the fruit of peace, oh, then it looks really, really different. It looks incredibly different. Now, what does it look like? And I want to I read to you what it looks like because what, what, um, 
what, what Paul does is Paul's referencing Jesus when he talks about a fruit of the Spirit being peace. And Jesus says this about peace. I love it, and I think y'all will love it too. Did not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And then Jesus goes on and talks a little bit more about all the people that are going to be divided and turned against. Right? By the way... Don't, do not say that this is a message about Jesus condoning violence, all right? Read, don't, don't read the Bible like you read like a Curious George book, all right? Don't do that, all right? Be better. This is a message about peacemaking. If peacekeeping is minimalizing conflict, peacemaking says I'm willing to go through the conflict in order to bring restoration on the other side. Whereas peacekeeping says, I want to maintain the status quo through minimizing conflict, peacemaking says, hey, I want to get into the conflict in order, in order to bring restoration on the other side. We see the difference? I'll, I'll give you an example of the difference. And I've used this example before because I love it. Um, let's just say you're in a restaurant and a woman comes in and she puts a gun in the air and she shoots the gun. She says, is a robbery? Everybody get down. And everybody gets down. And she starts going through, taking our, our money, jewelry, all the rest, everything, empties the register. Somebody tries to get up and, and stop her, and when they do, she shoots them. We're terrified. It's awful. So this woman grabs everything, runs outside, gets outside, and get, boom, she gets hit by a police car. Police get out of the car. Money's flying everywhere. Jewelry's everywhere. Finds out she shoots a person. What will we say to that? Normally what we would say to that is, good. Might you even say, thank God she didn't get away? Thank God she didn't get away. Might we say she got what she deserved? See, that's, that's peacekeeping. In fact, our whole justice system is based off of peacekeeping. It's punitive. It says, you know what, I want to minimize conflict, which means once this person goes and, and, and does something wrong, they get what they deserve. Peacemaking looks different. Peacemaking is harder because what we say is, what this woman did definitely has consequences. And it's incredibly important that, that this woman face these consequences. But peacemaking says, why was she put in a position where she had to walk into a restaurant? Was she failed by an education system that's inequitable? Did she have mental health challenges that, that weren't addressed? Was she part of a cycle of poverty? And the list goes on and on. And then what peacemaking does is peacemaking says, how can we help thousands, if not millions like her, in order to restore... That's what creates peace. Our whole jail system says, you know, we're peacekeepers. We need to, we need to, we got to fix this, right? We want to be peacemakers. In fact, in Christianity, we're peacekeepers. God says, believe these things, do these things, you're going to go to heaven. Don't do these things, you're going to go to hell. What God's really saying, if God's a peacemaker, what God's really doing is he's going, listen, this whole world is where it needs to be restored. So we need to start looking out for these people. It's not about heaven and hell, and it's not about where you're going. That's just peacekeeping. That's minimalizing it all. We need to go through some real restoration. That's what we need to do. Peacemaking. And so then Jesus comes along and shows us what peacemaking looks like in God's kingdom. Uh, and I, I, you all will remember three years ago when I preached on this, right? Yep. Yeah, how many of you were even there? Um, but I thought it was perfect to bring back up again because I was like, oh, this is such a good example. Because I think Jesus shows us exactly what peacemaking looks like. I'm going to read it for you. You heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now when you read this at first, you're going, Jonathan, 
This sounds like a peacekeeping mission, right? That's what this sounds like. Somebody comes up to you, they slap you, you get all passive, you go, okay, I'm going to turn the other cheek, and that makes me loving. That's, that's what that does. No, that, that's passive. That minimalizes conflict. That doesn't do much to change anything. Sure, somebody might say, like, oh, good for you. You turn the other cheek. Nah, that's not what Jesus was after at all. Again, Jesus is not a peacekeeper. Jesus is a peacemaker. So what does this whole turn the other cheek thing mean? Well, in context, right? In context, what would happen is there'd be Roman soldiers or governors walking down the street, and they would see somebody who was inferior to them. And what they would do is they would take their right hand, and they would backhand that person. And they would backhand that person across the cheek, and that would show their dominance. It would show that they were the superior, that they had more power to the inferior. Now, here's the thing. When you turn the other cheek, you can't backhand a person anymore. That's a big deal. So when you turn the other cheek, that person can no longer be backhand. You've got to do something like, I don't know, something like that or whatever. It doesn't quite work. And so in the Roman culture, in Roman culture, that was a huge deal to turn the other cheek. It was a huge deal because now that quote-unquote superior person had two choices. Choice number one, that superior person can no longer backhand you. They could punch you, but to punch was an actual sign of honor, right? So it meant that you were fighting your equal, and you were fighting for honor. That's what a punch meant. So now this person who thought that they were superior by backhanding you, you've turned the other cheek, and now they have to be confronted with the fact that, oh, if I punch you, that means you are an equal to me. That means that we're fighting for one another's honor. Or the second option is not hit them at all. And if they don't hit them at all, that now means that the person who was inferior becomes the superior. You see, what Jesus is not doing is Jesus is not doing peacekeeping by telling us to turn the other cheek. Jesus is being defiant. He's going, you want to change a system? You want to bring restoration and make peace where there is none? Turn the other cheek and watch what happens. Now they only have a couple choices. Now they think that you're an equal, or now they become the less than. You see, here's what happens with turning the other cheek. With turning the other cheek, it elevates the lowly. And it tells the marginalized that they've never been marginalized. They've always been valued and they've always been loved. And it's a wake-up call to the elite that the marginalized are on equitable footing and deserve the same privilege of power. And it tells us that a system rooted in unjust power over another human being will crumble and fail. Because that's what God gets. Well, that's what God gets. When he, yeah, God wants that. <laughs> oh, boy. That's what God wants. <laughs> that kind of restoration. That's that. That is radical peacemaking. You see, radical peacemaking is not passive. Right? Radical peacemaking is actually restoration in the most creative form. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us, church? What are we going to do? How are we going to be? Are we going to be peacekeepers? Or are we going to turn the other cheek? Be peacemakers? What's it going to look like? I was reading this book by a guy named Derek Flood. Uh, and it's a good book. It's old. I've read it a bunch. Uh, it's called Disarming Scripture. And in it, he talks about peacemaking. And he says, you know, he says, peacemakers, he says, what they do is they do not operate in their fight or flight. They do not operate in their amygdala. That's the part of us that, that gets heated and wants to either fight or run or whatever. He says, peacemakers know that by just taking a beat or by just taking a breath and by working through their cortex, they're actually going to make real change. You see, peacekeepers will react quickly, and sometimes reacting uh, creates violence. Sometimes it creates the wrong kind of conflict that never gets changed. Peacemakers say, I'm going to take a beat, and I'm going to think of the best way to go about doing this, which might mean defiantly turning the other cheek. And that's what breaks up a system more than maybe throwing the punch. You see the difference. 
He talks about a time that he had to make peace with somebody, and this person was irate, and they were inconsolable. And so his first thought was to fight with this person, and then he said, you know what, I think my first reaction has to be to give them a hug. And he gave them a hug, and they calmed down, and see, that wasn't the end of it, because what peacemaking does is never says, well, everything's okay now. No, it wasn't the end. It calmed them down enough to where they could hash out conflict, to where they could actually talk about it. Sometimes... That is peacemaking. Sometimes that's turning the other cheek. There's sometimes it looks like confronting somebody we do not want to confront. I have this really tight group of friends. We all grew up together. We've all known each other for 30 years. And we run the gamut. Like we do a variety of things. But there are two guys in our group. You ready for this? One guy travels the country working to defund and restore police departments. And the other guy is a police officer. Right? You can imagine how that goes. Good times. So there was one time when we were all talking and my friend who works to defund and you know, restore police departments said, you know, to my other friend, said, I'm not going to put up with that kind of talk anymore. This is what that kind of talk does. And it blew up our thread. Like guys who have known each other for 30 years, we were like precariously hanging by a thread as friends. Like, and, and so I, I texted my friend and I said, wow, man, you really brought it. And he goes, Williams, we can't sit by any longer. We can't sit by, even with our brothers. We cannot sit by. Peace needs to be made. This change needs to be made. And I was convicted. I was like, whoa, I got to stand up and say something. We got to stand up and say something to that coworker, even though our professional lives in some ways are at stake. Thanksgiving's coming. <laughs> got to say something to that family member. But I think we do. I don't think we can be silent any longer. And here's the thing, as with everything, there is discernment, right? And so remember a couple weeks ago I said the best boundaries we can make are the boundaries where we can love all the other person and still love ourselves? Yeah, those boundaries are still real, even with peacemaking. But it means that we're not silent. It means that we are not silent. It means peacemakers are saying, hey, there is justice that needs to be restored. That's what it's about. And then sometimes, y'all, peacemaking is good old-fashioned protest. And it's good old-fashioned getting out and voting, and it's blessing the ballot. And it's, it's taking up space. It's occupying space when space doesn't need to be occupied. And, and, and sometimes peacemaking is standing with others as they strike uh, for better pay or, or more safety measures during COVID. And, and, you know, with everything going on in our world and Supreme Court issues, I'm thinking about our church and about who we are as a church. And I'm like, you know, turning the other cheek. Peacemaking might have to be us continuing to officiate same-sex marriages even in the face of a different law, right? Like, that might be peacemaking. We don't know what it's going to look like. But here's the thing. I don't want this church to be a bunch of peacekeepers. I'm not about us minimalizing conflict. I'm not. I'm not about us maintaining status quo. I'm, not us, I'm, I'm about us saying the fruits of the Spirit are enacted, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is enacted. The life of Jesus Christ is enacted when we do the dirty, radical, well, not dirty, redeeming is the better word, redeeming and radical, turning of the other cheek. That's what peacemaking looks like. That's who we can be. I think of it as, as dirty because it's like Jesus was like, aha, gotcha, with the turning of the other cheek. That's, that was my train of thought on that one. Church, that's exactly what we are. We are a church. We're not some organization, we're not some community that, you know, does whatever. We are a church that enacts the fruits of the Spirit. And we do not act the fruit, enact the fruits of the Spirit blindly. We don't do it without discernment. We do it paying attention because we know that each one of those fruits, in their own way, 
is radically going to bring the kingdom of heaven. And that is our mission. You know, we are so loved by God, so loved as as God's child that, that God says, I love you so much. Your job, your job is to bring the kingdom that I want to this place. And you get to do it by bringing these fruits. And so may we be discerning enough and courageous enough and peacemaking enough and not wanting the status quo enough that all of us, we restore, all of us make peace, and all of us turn the other cheek. To that I say, amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for, oh, that radical love you have for us. We thank you for the fact that, that you see us as your children and that that never gets taken away. We thank you that you call us not to maintain status quo, but to get in it, just like Jesus got in it. So give us the courage to be more like Jesus. And when we don't, oh my Lord, we are so thankful for the grace that comes through Jesus. Lord knows we need it. So let us have the courage to live out the fruits as we move forward today. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.